Our reading this morning is particularly appropriate for World Communion Sunday. It's from Luke 10, 25 to 37. <clears throat> On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho <clears throat> when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, <clears throat> and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. together with my daughter Amelia. Uh, it's an honor for us and I, I just really want to thank Pastor Bob and Kathy and Tim Bayless for their kind invitation to be with you. I have greetings for you from the Mensas in Ghana, from the pastors in Ghana, from the churches in Ghana. You may not realize but they know, they know you. They remember you, they remember your visits, they know of your support. And they pray for you regularly. I, I hear ECC, even when they're praying in, in their tribal language, I hear ECC, ECC. So I bring greetings from all of them. So my challenge to you this morning comes in the form of this question. Uh, who is your neighbor? Just under 10 years ago, this question was posed to me in a, in a fairly memorable way. I was attending a conference in Toronto with thousands of family physicians and emergency room physicians, and the keynote speaker was Dr. Stephen Lewis. Uh, Dr. Lewis had just returned back from Africa. He was the, the head of the special envoy for HIV AIDS for the United Nations, and he shared stories with us, and he, he spoke of the devastation there. And then he gave us this challenge. 
his, his challenge went like this. He said, if even a few of you in this room would be willing to use your skills and resources to help our global neighbors, it would bring, bring great solace and great hope to so many. And he challenged us not to underestimate the ripple effect of these tiny gestures of hope uh, that they would bring. Well, I have personally never heard God speak to me out loud, but that was one of those moments in my faith journey where I knew a challenge was being given very specifically to me. Here, here I was. I was a person of faith. I was a physician. My faith, uh, my greatest commandment that I'd been given is to love God, and then after that, to love my neighbor. And the words of Stephen Lewis just somehow pierced through to me that day. He was telling me my global neighbors were dying. Here I am a doctor. And I thought, boy, I need to do something about this. The challenge was, at that moment in time, uh, my husband and I had five kids under the age of six years old. So when I went home and told him I'm going to Africa, you can kind of imagine the look on his face. But to be quite honest with you, I don't think I had ever considered global suffering to be my responsibility. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe I was just pretty busy with a young family. Uh, you know, maybe I was distracted. Maybe I was concerned about my safety. I'm sure uh, the reasons I had might have been some of the reasons why the Levite and the priest walked by the suffering man on the road. But at that moment, something changed in my heart. So shortly thereafter, uh, in a way only God could orchestrate, I came face to face with David and Brenda Mensa. And some of you know what happens when you come face to face with David and Brenda Mensa. The Mensas had been praying for someone to come alongside them and help them with the healthcare aspect of their development work. They, weren't a, they aren't a, a healthcare organization, but they needed to engage in this healthcare sector of their development. And at that moment, a very beautiful partnership was born between the healthcare community in North America and in Europe and the healthcare community in Northern Ghana. And as you heard in the video, I've had the privilege of going with seven international teams to provide care, to collect data, to transfer skills to local healthcare personnel and to support them as they journey towards sustainable healthcare. And we're leaving in a few weeks with our eighth team. So what I wanted to do this morning was I thought I would introduce you to a few of my patients, a few of my global neighbors that I met along the road, so to speak. But what I really want you to do is to listen to the ripple effect that happened as the result of us just stopping to care for the sick. So let's start with a little boy named Joshua. Joshua, in this picture, was one month old, and he had pneumonia, and he was critically ill. It was just such a miracle that we happened to be in his village on the day he needed someone to save his life. Here he is. He comes to visit me every year. Well, the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of little Joshua's out there. And our statistics actually indicate that 30 per thousand kids don't make it through their first month of life in this part of the world, if you can imagine. This powerful discontent 
that we felt and that clearly I still feel every time I even talk about it, um, led to a ripple effect that we could never have imagined. My eyes are blurry, I can't see my notes. <laughs> we took our statistics to the Canadian government. The Canadian government granted us money for a three-year project called the Layata Project. This project involved training community-based volunteers who visited 8,700 newborns and referred them to health facilities who needed care. Two, two years later, the death rate in the first month of life, as you can see, decreased from 30 per thousand to 5 per thousand. This project was so successful that the Canadian government just approved an extension of it for us called Layada Annie, which means, uh, Layada means rescue us, Annie means the second. So now we're rescue us the second and we're scaling up big time. We're going into 160 villages over the next four years. So this has been quite a ripple effect. Let me introduce you to Thomas. Thomas was brought to us unconscious in a wheelbarrow due to shock from a strangulated hernia. It was a miracle we were in his village on the day he needed someone to save his life. But this was not okay. There are so many Thomases, and hernia is the leading cause of death in Ghana, surgical death. Again, this powerful discontent we felt led us to develop a hernia program. And so we go every year. We built three little operating rooms on the compound of NEA. We take world-renowned surgeons. And over the past six years, we've operated on about 2,000 hernias. We have hundreds of men and women on our waiting list to be operated on. Sorry, I have my back to you guys. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the newborn babies of Ghana. Our statistics, as I said in the video, indicated a sky-high rate of stillbirths. None of the midwives and nurses and even physicians knew how to resuscitate a baby in Ghana, and they assumed if a baby wasn't breathing at birth, the baby had passed away. So in November 2013, we trained our first group of midwives and doctors and nurses, and I want to show you what happened. Oh, we've done a second set of training as well, just this past uh, spring. So you can see there, in between 2014 and 2016, a thousand babies have been saved from a simple resuscitation program, and all of these babies would have been classified as stillborn. Again, a ripple effect that we just could never have even dreamed of. So now we have reached, in my mind, the most exciting ripple effect of all of these. Our healthcare leaders in Canada, the UK, and in Ghana have discerned that the time is right to move forward with a hospital in the northern region of Ghana. And we can't even believe it's happening. Sometimes, even yesterday when I spoke to you, I hear myself speak and I can't believe it's happening. All of these years, with each patient we've seen, each initiative, each statistic, each medical mission, each tooth pulled, and each pair of eyeglasses handed out, each life saved and, and so many lives lost. We've dreamed of sustainable health care for these global neighbors, and the vision has been percolating. We've been praying towards it, but we had no idea if it would even come to pass in our generation. But here we are. As you heard in the video, an in-depth hospital feasibility study is done. The engineering drawings are complete. All the stakeholder approvals are in place, and the Ministry of Health in Ghana is ready to partner with us. 
We even have our staff trained and ready to go in Ghana. We're halfway to our fundraising target, and this hospital, I call it a sanctuary, is ready to be built. It's desperately needed. It's going to be run by Ghanaians for Ghanaians, and it will be supported by people like me for years to come. Within three years, this will be self-sustaining and won't rely on any help from us here. So this is my story. This is our story. And what I'd like to do is leave you with two lessons that I've learned from all of this. And I hope it will inspire you on your mission and on the mission of ECC as you engage in this month of just so many wonderful areas of mission focus. So firstly, my first lesson to you today is, if you are faithful to do your part, then God will always be faithful to do his part. I love the phrase uh, I heard recently called divine human cooperative. It's a mystery to me why God would choose you and I to be his hands and feet. I really don't get it, and I don't understand it. I'm not a theologian, but whether I understand it or not, I know it's true. I know that when I was faced with this question, who is your neighbor, it wasn't that many years ago. And now I'm standing up here telling you about all of these things that have happened. And it just gets better every day. A couple of months ago, we got word that one of the biggest Canadian foundations donated $2.5 million to our project. They are the most rigorous foundation, and they have looked at what we've done, and they've said, yes, this needs to happen. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we got word that Microsoft has partnered with us. Microsoft Philanthropy has entered an agreement with us to provide our hospital with all of our IT support and hardware and software. It's unbelievable. I usually speak from my Apple computer, but I decided I wouldn't today because I kind of realized that's a, I gotta get rid of my Apple. God says to us, I don't know why I forget it, but he says to us over and over again that he will do so much more than we can ask or imagine. In Ephesians 3, the last part of that verse, though, is so key. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. And the last lesson I want to leave with you today is just don't underestimate what God can do with our little offerings. However small, however imperfect, when our motivation is to love our neighbor, he does something so incredible. You've heard my testimony. And I often wonder if people like you even know the, work, the ripple effect of the impact you've had since you've been involved over the past 29 years with GRID and NEA. I wonder if you know how many lives have been spared from the well that you people funded in the 80s. I wonder if you know how many lives have been saved at the health center that a team from this church went and built. I wonder if you know, uh, Pastor Bob, how many people have come to faith because of the teaching you've given the pastors. And you know, Bob, this, these 160 villages that this Leada is in, the women and babies are coming home alive. It's stunning the villages, right? Because women are coming home alive from their births. And do you know what they're asking David and Brenda for? A church. It's so interesting. How? 
I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised, right? That's what Jesus did. He often met physical needs first, right? We're meeting these needs, and, and the Muslim community, most of these are Muslim vis- villages, and they're coming to David and saying, why haven't you put a church in yet? And the pastors that Bob has trained are scrambling to get to these villages who are asking for churches. And some of you built a junior high school, and I wonder, do you know how many future leaders of Ghana are going to come out of that school? And I wonder if your Dr. Surian knows how many lives will be saved by these instruments and books that are going to be in our new hospital. As believers, we have a responsibility to be on mission every day here, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, workplaces, our communities, in our countries, but we're also responsible for our global neighbors. And I'd like to invite you today into this story of being on mission globally. I'd invite you to respond to the United Nations call to every citizen of the world to join together and envision and participate in creating a world free of poverty, hunger, disease, and want. While it seems impossible that the average person can make a difference, our story, my story, God's story clearly says otherwise. I believe God is calling us to continue to be global neighbors in Ghana. And I believe he's instilled a vision for this hospital in the hearts of his people here and in Ghana so that he can accomplish his purpose in this generation. So if part of your legacy might be to help us make this hospital a reality, let us know. We need all the help we can get. Kathy and Tim and I are available. We need your help. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need your financial support. Maybe you're a health professional. We need you. I was thinking you guys could maybe go build a ward of the hospital one day, and then we could name it after you or something like that. I was actually thinking that Bloomington, you know, Bloomington maternity ward has a really, really nice ring to it. My husband said maybe Hoosier Hospital, but I I didn't like that one as much. So on behalf of GRID and NEA, I want to thank you all for all you have done to help our mission in Ghana and all you will continue to do as you love God and as you love your neighbors here and around the world. Thank you so much. Please remain standing once again for the reading of God's Word. And uh, as is our tradition in Missions Month, the reading, the scripture reading, the second, the epistle reading that comes this morning will come to you in a different language. Now, up on the screen, you can read it. It won't be in a different language up there. Uh, English will be on the screen, but this, uh, this morning we will hear the Word of God in Farsi. Good morning. به عقیده من در دورنج کنونی ما ابدا جلالی که در آینده برای ما ظاهر می شود قابل مقایسه نیست. تمامی خلقت با اشتیاق فراوان در انتظار ظهور فرزندان خدا به سر می برند. زیرا خلقت نه به اراده خود بلکه به خواست خدا دوچار توهم گردیده است. 
تا این امید باقی بماند که روزی خود آفرینش از قید فساد آزاد گردد و در آزادی پرشکوه فرزندان خدا سهیم شود زیرا میدانیم که تمامی آفرینش تا زمان حاضر از دردی مانند درد زایمان نالیده است نه تنها خلقت بلکه ما نیز که روح خدا را به عنوان اولین نمونه عطایای خدا دریافت کرده ایم در درون خود مینالیم و در انتظار آن هستیم که خدا ما را فرزندان خود بگرداند و کل بدن ما را آزاد گرداند زیرا با چنین امیدی بود که ما نجات یافتیم اما امیدی که در آن برآورده نشده است دیگر چه امیدی است چه کسی در انتظار چیزی است که قبلا آن را یافته است اما اگر در امید چیزی هست که هنوز نیافته ایم با صبر منتظر آن میشویم به همین طریق روح خدا در عین ضعف و ناتوانی به ما هدیه میکند ما هنوز نمیدانیم چگونه باید دعا کنیم اما خود روح خدا با ناله هایی که نمیتوان بیان کرد برای ما شفاعت میکند و آنکه قلب های انسان را جستجو میکند از نیت روح خدا آگاه است چون روح القدس مطابق خواست خدا برای مقدسین شفاعت میکند This is the word of the Lord The word of the Lord as heard by believers in Iran today uh, on World Communion Sunday isn't it appropriate uh, to have uh, an Iranian believer uh, read the word of God for us in Luke chapter 4 Jesus announces something that is epic he stands up in his hometown in a synagogue and he says these words the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim freedom to the prisoners to recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed I look at that list and I think that was a big job Jesus and he got right to it we often look at that list and we immediately go to the spiritual side of things and it's definitely there preaching the good news proclaiming freedom you might say from sin giving spiritual sight to those who are spiritually blind and we could continue to look at that list that way and it's true but the gospel is more than that did you notice how when Jesus went into a village he began by healing the sick right after this passage is finished Luke says that Jesus went all around the area and he healed many he healed people of leprosy he healed people of paralysis he even raised the dead twice in the book of Luke just after this passage is announced everywhere he went miracles were reported why because he was preaching the good news the kingdom of God is among you and this said Jesus is the way things ought to be it's remarkable he even said to the disciples I want you to do this too 
And he made a prediction that when you follow me after I'm gone, even more things than I was able to do, you will do. Because they were greater? No. Because they were more spiritual? Certainly not as son of God. But we know early on in the book of Acts, Peter and John began to heal people at the gate of the Solomon's portico. And healings began to explode in the early church, in the book of Acts. And we get to Paul, and Paul continues the mission of Jesus, not just speaking the gospel to the soul, but reaching out and touching the sick and healing them. It was just part and parcel of the gospel. The mission of the kingdom of God has always been broad. It's been in the largest sense, completely global. That's why in the passages that we've been looking at in the book of Romans, we see Paul declaring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for the whole world. He says it's not just for those who have a Jewish heritage, it's for everyone. And he eventually is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's spreading the good news to everyone. You'll notice, uh, if you think back about what we have looked at, we realize that Paul said the good news is available to everyone. Through natural revelation, everyone knows about God and no one is with an excuse that's adequate because the gospel of Jesus Christ will come to all. And all will realize that they're sinners and in need of God's grace and all will be freely given the grace of Jesus Christ. All they need do is accept it. And when they do, they are marked as a new creature. They're invited to follow a new path. And they're declared righteous, even though they're not perfect. And they are said to be now no longer slaves of sin, but their master is Jesus Christ. Released from the slavery and the bondages of sin to follow Jesus Christ, says Paul. He admits that none of us is perfect. All of us fall down. In Romans chapter 7, we remember that we continue to struggle with sin, but in Romans chapter 8, as you remember last week with Dan, it doesn't make any difference that we fall because we will. The difference maker is the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when we fall, we realize in spite of our failings, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You've been given a new life, so walk and live in the Spirit, says Paul. That's a wonderful message, isn't it? I just preached the gospel in a nutshell, right there. I'm all done. It's time for communion. <laughs> no, I want to say just a couple more things. When we get to Romans chapter 8, the passage that was read just there, it's like a huge segue. Paul's been speaking about all of this and he gets to Romans chapter 8 and he says, I want to acknowledge along with you that things are not the way they're supposed to be. You know when Jesus came to the earth and he performed miracles, you know what he's doing? He was pulling back the curtain between time and eternity. And he was saying, when I heal the sick, when I give sight to the blind, when I raise the dead, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because God came and pronounced good upon his creation, not death, not suffering, not sickness. I'm giving you, he says, a window into eternity. And then what does he say? Go 
and do likewise. Paul puts it this way, while the creation groans in anticipation of liberation, we wait patiently. We wait patiently, expectantly, for the complete consummation of the kingdom of God. The creation, not just you and I, but the whole world is groaning under the weight of sin. And Paul says, I am so looking forward to that day when everything is made new. And in the meantime, we wait patiently. You know, you could interpret Paul as saying, what you do is sit around and just wait for the coming of the Lord. But if you know anything about Paul, that's an improper interpretation. Waiting patiently for Paul, just as with Jesus, means waiting actively. It means being about the work of Jesus Christ in this present world. It means doing things to reach out to those who have need. The poor, the sick, the lonely. And then, when we do, the words of the Lord's Prayer come true. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. I don't want to elevate us too much. But do you know how that happens? Through us. Through image bearers of God. God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth just like it is in heaven. You've heard a remarkable story of how that's happened through the Mentos. You've heard about a remarkable future that's going to change a country. Why? Because David and Brenda Mensah gave themselves completely to Jesus Christ. And through them, God's kingdom came. God's will was established in earth just like in heaven. I, I listen to stories like David and Brenda's. And I say to myself, remarkable, huge, global, unbelievable what do I do? It seems very little compared to them. Yeah, I preach every Sunday morning. I, I try to lead the church as best I can, but my, my, look what God is doing in that place. And then I remember, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, happens in you every day. The kingdom of God comes every day in the life of a child when as a parent you teach them. It comes every day in the life of a child when as a teacher you instruct. It comes every day in the life of your neighborhood when you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe not so boldly as to share the gospel with words, but with actions with your life. It comes every day in a hospital in Bloomington or in Martinsville or Bedford whenever a physician takes his or her hands and is instrumental in healing a disease. The kingdom of God is coming. God's will is being done on earth just like it is in heaven. You say to yourself, wait a minute, Bob. I'm not in a religious vocation like you. I can't do things and speak quite the way you can without losing my job. I know that. But you can pray. You can pray 
that the very power and presence of the risen Lord is in your hands, in your voice, and in your life, wherever you are. That's the mission of the church. Now you might also say to yourself, I'm doing that. I'm doing the best that I can. But I feel like there's more for me to do. That's a funny thing about being a Christ follower, isn't it? You're walking along doing exactly what you think you ought to do, and then you feel this nudge, <laughs> this nudge in your back, just like Jennifer talked about as a physician. And the nudge says, I want you to take the next step. I want you to be a neighbor in a new kind of way. I want you to step outside your comfort zone. I want you to become the hands and feet of Jesus in a remarkably new way. I don't know what that is for you, but I'm convinced that if you follow Jesus Christ, it's coming. Jesus always does that. He always calls us into the world. Do you hear the call? Do you feel a prompting? What is it? Listen, speak to someone who can give you wise counsel and do it. And when you do, God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you have come into our world. You came into our world as God in the flesh. And then you told us, you are the body of Christ. It's as though, Lord, you said, here I am, the living, breathing Son of God, the image of God, the incarnation on earth, and now your mission is to be like me. So give us, Lord, hearts that are willing, hands and feet that are eager, and lives that serve, so that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.